This is KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned into the Kenai Conversation. I'm Riley Board. For decades, the city of Kenai's number one capital priority has been stabilizing its eroding bluff along the mouth of the Kenai River. In September, the city entered into an agreement with the Army Corps of Engineers, and in late 2023, the project went out for bid. Today, we're talking with city officials about the history, current status, and future of the long-sought project. Stay tuned. And we'll start by having each of my guests introduce themselves, whoever wants to go first. I'll start, Riley. My name is uh, Terry Eubank. I'm the city manager with the city of Kenai. I've been in my role for about a year with the city, just over a year now. Um, Prior to that, uh, I grew up in the Kenai-Sildaten area, graduated from Kenai High in 1989, Um, worked in local government here on the Central Peninsula for about 25 years. Uh, Ten years of that, I was with the borough and Uh, About the last 15, I've been with the city of Kenai. Awesome. And Scott? Uh, My name is Scott Curtin. I'm the public works director for the city of Kenai. Um, Been in that role for the last six years. Uh, Prior to that, I was with the borough for four. Been in Alaska for about 10 years. Awesome. Thank you both. So let's start with the very broadest question, which is why is Kenai's bluff eroding and how long has this been an issue that folks in this area are aware of? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Riley. Um, you know, the the bluff in, at the mouth of the Kenai River has been eroding since the Kenai River probably existed. Um, you know, the, the major cause for erosion down there is, um, you know, based on the studies that were done, the, the, the major cause is the, the tidal action and storm surges that happen down there during weather events. Um, you know, those events erode the the base or the toe of the bluff where the bluff meets the the river or the beach um, that gets eroded and when that falls away the the land up atop has to fall down to try to take its place and that cycle just continues you know um, there's every variety of cause down there for erosion whether that's wind or you know runoff from above but the large cause or the, the predominant reason that it occurs is because that toe is, has not been stabilized and continues to erode with the tidal action and storm surges. You know, on average, it's it's recedes about three to five feet a year is what is historically been seen. Yeah, I mean, three to five feet in the scheme of like property located along the bluff is is pretty substantial, right? Oh, oh, it definitely is. You know, there's been a lot of private property loss. Um, you know, it started back, you know, there was some restaurants and things along that bluff at a period of time. You know, the Harborview, it's it's now gone. Um, you know, the city's had to deal with some infrastructure issues, whether that's roads being threatened, um, water and sewer infrastructure being threatened, uh, storm drains, you know, falling off the end of the bluff. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's been a significant issue and, you know, continues to this day. Yeah. And then in terms of in terms of how long this has been something that that officials were focused on fixing, when did that, you know, when did that first become an idea? You know, I looked in city records and I, you know, I think back as far as the city's been incorporated, which was 1963, there were discussions about erosion at the the mouth of the river you know that it really kind of ramped up you know um in the late 80s mid to late 80s um there was real conversation starting to happen um the city engaged with the army corps of engineers they've done studies back as far as 2003 uh they did another study or work, continued study work in 2007 and 2017 so you know, for, for certainly for at least the last 30 years, this has been the city's number one uh, capital priority uh, and, and issue to try to deal with. Have there been any previous attempts that have been as, as close as this one in terms of like 
doing, you know, creating a design and, and entering into a partnership with the core? Or is this sort of the, the farthest that a project has made it? So there's been smaller, uh, I call them point repairs, um, smaller projects, nothing certainly of, of this magnitude. Uh, the current project uh, is actually, you know, extends 5,000 you know, feet long down the bluff. Um, so we've done some recent stormwater improvements uh, along Peninsula Avenue, um, some stormwater uh, drainage and piping, uh, carrying water down to the bluff to, to minimize the runoff over the top of the bluff. Um, but they've been, you know, certainly much smaller, uh, in scale. Yeah. Well, speaking of the current project, can we talk a bit about what exactly it, it looks like and, um, yeah, what people can expect to, to see and change about the bluff? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I said, the, the length of the project is about 5,000, uh, lineal feet. It's, it starts pretty much at the mouth of the river, um, so if you're on North Beach, right there at the end of Kenai Avenue, um, it starts right there at that drainage uh, and extends all the way down the northern side of the river um, up to the first cannery. So it, it'll go all the way down uh, behind the senior center, finish point housing uh, in the park up to the where the first cannery uh, starts on the north side of the river. Uh, the structure itself is about the base at the base. It's about 60 feet wide. Um, it's got the appearance of uh, it's kind of a flat top pyramid. I guess I would say. Um, it's a rock structure, um, large rock actually, um, with the intent of providing armor uh, to absorb some of the energy from the wave impacts and river ice, things like that coming down the river. Um, looking at it, I would say, you know, the the top of the this berm is, a, it's roughly around 12 feet tall. Uh, it is intended to exceed, um, it is taller than what the intended 100 year you know, flood level is and not to bore you with a bunch of general numbers and elevation, but it's, it's been established at a, an elevation of 23 feet, um, uh, you know, at the uh, mean high tide, um, line and a hundred year flood event is, is around 19 and a half feet is, is what they consider a hundred year event. So in terms of what, you know, what this actually does to keep the bluff from eroding, can you talk a little bit about that? So as, uh, Terry mentioned earlier, the, the, the big primary um, issue we're trying to resolve is the uh, storm surges. Um, and I'm sure folks, you know, going down, walking on the beach and stuff have seen winter storms where it's not uncommon to see certainly five to six and, and occasionally eight to 10 foot tall waves coming in from the inlet. Um, our bluff is primarily made of sand, sand and silt. Um, if it was a rock wall, this wouldn't, we wouldn't be having the issues that we do, but you get five, you know, six, seven foot tall waves uh, at high tide and they start crashing up against that sand uh, bank at the toe of the bluff. That's that's really where a lot of the destruction uh, comes from. Um, our situation is a little, you know, dynamic. This is certainly something that's occurring all around the state in uh, coastal areas. Um, ours is a little unique because we have the river uh, that's coming down and it's and it's a there's a tremendous amount of volume coming down that river. Uh, it also freezes in winter, so we have the impact of sea ice um, that can scour the edge of the bluff as well. Um, we also have quite a bit of wind, um, and with the height of our bluff and the, the fact that it's comprised of sand, you do, we do get uh, an amount of sand or, um, wind erosion um, taking away some of the, the sand. Um, and on top of that, um, as he mentioned, we have, we have some runoff across the top of the bluff, uh, as well as a high water table in that area. So if you're, if you're on the river and you're looking at the bluff, you can see a, a change in color. Um, and a lot of that is where groundwater is leaching out the edge of the bluff, uh, and that's contributing to it as well. So when we looked at this, we're trying to, you know, you're, it's challenging because there's, there's more than one issue that's causing this problem. So you're trying to come up with a plan that resolves as many of these as, as they possibly can. And uh, this structure um, that we're doing is was checking the most boxes to resolve those issues. Yeah. Did you say earlier that this wall will help prevent large chunks of ice or will have a role in preventing ice from causing further erosion? Yes. So it's anything coming from the water, uh, it will absorb that energy. Um, and then one of the challenges was we're still going to have some some stuff eroding on the back side. Uh, and the reason why it's it's say rock and not concrete, you know, we know there's still going to be water coming down the backside of this wall running down the bluff, and they want that to be able to run through this wall to make its way to the river without, you know, causing 
additional uh, erosion issues. So that's why it's a rock wall and not a you know steel sheet pile or concrete blocks and things like that. Mm, that makes sense. So it's so it's porous enough to allow water coming the other direction to Correct. go through. Mm. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think the uh, another important thing to understand about the project is what it won't do. So you know, this project will stabilize the toe of the bluff, so it's going to stop erosion at the base. And you know, if that stops. Erosion is going to continue at the top of the bluff, um, and that's going to continue until the, the land reaches what they call the natural angle of repose. So it's the angle at which erosion will stop. So once this wall is constructed, probably, you know, maybe for the next 10 years, we're going to continue to see some amounts of erosion at the top of the bluff until um, we reach that angle. But this is going to stop. I mean, eventually it will stop. And I think that is the key here. So if, if folks think that this project is going to immediately end all erosion, it's certainly not. And um, But it's going to be controlled at this point, and it's, and it's very predictable once we reach that natural angle of repose. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned that other areas across Alaska are dealing with erosion in some way, but our situation is unique. Is this design unique? Like, is there something else that looks like this in terms of preventing bluff erosion or is this, is this, will this be unique to the Kenai River? Uh, so it's a good question. It's, uh, uh, it's certainly very similar. There's a lot of, um, e even here on the peninsula, you could drive down to uh, Homer Spit comes to mind. Um, that's a little different because there's a road, right? It's, it's armored uh on the uh, western side and then it's got a road we don't we don't have a road that we're trying to protect we're trying to protect the bluff um so but it, it'll have similar you know makeup similar size rocks and boulders uh, and things like that and that's just meant to absorb the energy of, of the waves and uh, the impact coming in um seward uh, has several um bear creek comes to mind as a, a similar that is an actual uh, creek river type drainage that's coming down that's also armored um, that more handles with flooding and, and snow melt and stuff like that coming off but it's it's similar uh, as well I'm sure there's others as you you know go around Alaska that bluff is a, a common thing and other you know Nome and Barrow and other areas around the state um, so yeah I don't think I don't I don't think we're totally unique in that yeah well on that subject, we've we, you know we've talked quite a bit about the specific design, but I'm curious about the the process of coming to that design. You know, how long did it take to to settle on this? And then you know, Terry, you mentioned earlier that it solves you know some problems, not all. Or you know, you've both talked about that. How did you decide which you know erosion related issues to target with this, and and which ones not to? You know, I think it all started back with some of the feasibility studies and the impact studies that, that the Corps, the Alaska Army Corps of Engineers assisted the city with. Um, you know, those processes look at a variety of different solutions. Um, they look at, you know, the, the financial impact or what you're actually protecting to determine if there's a cost benefit. You know, in, in Kenai's case, you know, the cost benefit was a, a little below um, typical standards, but there are other factors that really get considered. Um, you know, the, the economic impact to the local community, the cultural and historical impact to the local community. And, you know, um, Old Town Kenai is, is where folks settled, you know, hundreds of years ago, if not thousands of years ago, because of, of the large salmon runs on the Kenai River. So there's a tremendous amount of historical and cultural um, benefit to doing this project. But during those processes, they actually looked at a variety of solutions. I mean, one of the solutions they, they looked at, and I don't know how seriously, but was actually to reroute the river at the mouth to actually, you know, cut through the flats out there and redirect the river out into the inlet and basically bypass the bluffs. Um, so, you, you know, they, they look at a variety, you know, um, like Scott said, you know, they look at, you know, whether sheet pile was a, a, a acceptable um, solution, you know, sheet pile has problems. It won't let water out from the backside. Um, when you have those, um, you know, another issue with sheet pile is it, it's really just deflecting energy. So you, you'll take a, a, the, all the energy from a wave and you're just sending it somewhere else. 
you know, the benefit of the large rock is that you have all the crevices and cracks and angles within the rock itself that that energy gets deflected and dissipated. So, you know, this is like, I think this is part of the reason why this project has taken so long to come to fruition is, is the exhaustive planning and, and, you know, process that it's gone to, you know, and financially it's, I think the financial impact and it's a 40, they're estimating this to be a $42 million project. We're certainly hoping it comes in less, but that's what the core currently has is their, their high end of their cost estimate. So it, it's significant. I'm so interested in that mention of potentially rerouting the river. I mean, you. I think you suggested that it wasn't that serious of a consideration, but I can only imagine the impact that would have on the marine wildlife, especially salmon, if the river were to change its course. What? Yeah. What? What was the idea there? I think it's just looking at every option. You know, I mean, it's it's similar to processes we go through when we, we look at projects. You know, I mean, uh, the first option is always to do nothing and what happens if you do nothing. And then from there, you, you, you brainstorm and spitball and throw ideas on the wall and see what, what sticks or what has merit. Um, like I said, I don't think there was a lot of serious conversation, but I do remember in some of the feasibility studies and... Um, that that was an option that was actually considered. And I think all the reasons you just highlighted are reasons why it it was ruled out rather quickly. But I'm just trying to give the scope of of how these planning efforts, you know, how they happen. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that $42 million high-end price tag. Let's talk about funding and what that process has been like what have been you know the the challenges and and aspects of funding this project over the years yeah i think you know very comparable to the design effort i think the the funding side has been just as complicated it's like a big puzzle and how do we put that together you know it started back um in around 2011, the city received, for, for the next couple of years, the city received about $4 million in grants from the state of Alaska uh, that we're still utilizing parts of today um, to fund the feasibility study, the city share of feasibility study, the city share of design effort and, and a roll into construction. Um, where this really took off is when we started getting um, closer to a design or to the point of coming to design, um, Senator Murkowski was, was key in securing $28.5 million of funding at the federal level for uh, the Corps um, for them to proceed with the project. Um, you know, you couple that with Senator Sullivan um, in the Word of Bill, which is the, uh, help me with that, Scott, the water... The, um, the water resources, water resources uh, development act at the federal level. That gets amended every few years. He was he was able to um, reduce the city's cost share in this project from a thirty five percent cost share to a ten percent cost share. So a twenty five percent local savings. You know, uh, that was in excess of a ten million dollar reduction for the city's cost share uh, at a forty two million dollar project. Um, and then the state stepped up again, Governor Dunleavy included in the um, fiscal 22, I think, or 23 state budget, $6.5 million uh, in additional state grants to assist the city with um, its local share. Um, we do have a bond authorization from the voters of the city of Kenai that authorized the issuance of $2 million in general obligation bonds. Um, we're not anticipating issuing those bonds at this point because of, uh, you know, the the actions of of the federal, you know, our federal congressional folks and and our state congressional folks and and you know the governors. I think what this project really shows is just the dedication and commitment of every city manager at the city of Kenai, every mayor, and every council member for the last thirty some years to keep this as our number one priority and, and, and really work on weaving that web or that puzzle, put that puzzle together and how we're going to fund this. Does that 
$42 million number include design work that has happened up to this point, or is that just for the final project? That includes the design effort as well. Got it. You know, you mentioned how many different mayors and council members have been involved in this project. Is it meaningful to you for it sort of to be coming to fruition under your time as the city manager? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great honor. I mean, you know, I, you know, like I said, I've been at the city for 15 years and I've, I've seen that work that's gone in by all the administrations, mayors, councils, uh, the previous city managers that I worked for. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to be a part of bringing it over the finish line is, yeah, it's absolutely an honor. And I'm, I'm, but I'm more excited for Kenai. I mean, this is, this is a big deal for Kenai. I think it's, it's about opportunity. I think it's about, you know, the, opening the door for, for new growth and old town and, and development in the city. Yeah, that that's an, an interesting thing that I'd love to ask about, which is, you know, how much do you think that development in areas along the bluff has been stifled by this fear about bluff erosion and, and how might that be affected by having this infrastructure in place? Yeah, we, we really think it's been significant. I mean, we have not seen significant investments along that bluff in Kenai in decades. And, you know, the activity that's happened along that area is folks having to move structures, having to, you know, pick up and move houses that have been there for, you know, decades. So, you know, by stabilizing this, it's it's some of the most beautiful and pristine land in the city. I mean, it's got tremendous views and you know we really think that once stabilized and um you know it's gonna give people confidence to once again invest in that area have you found that you know all of the different politicians or or, you know senators or state legislature have been receptive to this project like has this been as you know as appealing and important to them in terms of advocating for money as as it has been to the city? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's the, the large key to our success here is that, you know, we've been we've been able to communicate the project and the importance of the project, um, gain their understanding and support. And they've been strong advocates. I mean, you know, without our, our federal congressional folks uh, getting that funding for the core we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the state that's helped us along the way with the grants to help us keep us going you know we wouldn't be here today i mean folks sometimes ask why this has taken so long and i I think it's one it's the technical nature of this project and how how big the project is that way but it's also that funding mechanism and a 42 million dollar project for the city of kena that's almost you know, three years of operations or a general fund. It's, it's, this is a large project. If I could, I just, you know, like to add, they, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, I like to say a site visit's worth a million. Um, and every opportunity we've get with any of those folks that come to town, we, we like to take them down and we've given people, uh, boat tours. Um, we've stood on top of the bluff. Uh, with representatives from the core and congressional delegation and, and things like that. And, and it's certainly an, uh, an aha moment when they're standing there and they, they, they see the true magnitude of, of what we're dealing with. Um, so I certainly think as you know, that's happened, I, I, I think the, uh, the understanding of the reality of what we're truly dealing with um, really hit home for those folks. Uh, and I think that really helped uh, the case. Yeah. Well, where are we in the project now? I know um, it went out for bid in early December, mid-December. Is that correct? So uh, uh, so the core um, released the project for bid proposals on November 29th. Uh, those proposals were received by the core uh, January 11th, uh, and they're currently in review uh, right now. So we're uh, they're they're very tight-lipped on what's you know this is their kind of uh, contracting process and it's it's very specific to them so uh, we're patiently awaiting uh, word of of what proposals were received and and what the costs associated with them were so um, I'm hopeful by the end of the month uh, that we're going to get some word uh, 
But yeah, we're anxiously waiting. And I think it's interesting for folks to understand, you know, when you talk about where we are with the project. So in September of this year, we signed what's called the project partnership agreement with the core. And, and that agreement defined the core's role in this project, defined the city's role in this project, also defined um, the, the, the division of costs for this project. Um, so the, the city, which was honestly quite unusual, it's actually one of the things I think that, that made this project happen now. Um, there was a point in this project where we were ready to go to design, but the core did not have funding to fund their share of the design. So, you know, we made a proposal, the city made a proposal to the core. Um, and I think with the assistance of our federal congressional folks uh, convinced the core it was a path we should go down. Um, we actually funded 100% of the design with, with our local funds or our local grants. And so that kept the project going. And then once we got that design along the way is when, you know, again, Senator Murkowski stepped in with with the huge funding boost, 28 and a half million for the core and, and, and so on. But the city really isn't at this point, once that design was complete and we signed that project partnership agreement, the core is in the dry. This is a core project. Now we still have input. We still able are able to consult with them, but um, we will not be contracting. The city will not be contracting with contractors for the, performance of this work or managing directly supervising those contractors um, this is an army corps of engineers project at this point yeah interesting do you think you can sort of ex explain what like why the army corps of engineers has this big of a role in the first place like what they're you know why they are are the driver going forward and, and why that partnership was was critical yeah, and I think Scott can weigh in on this too, but I, I think it's the size of the project. Uh, this is their area of expertise. This is what the Corps does um, uh, all around the nation. And I think it also represents because of the, the size of the investment by the federal government while they're key in this. But Scott, you can definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's it's their jurisdiction, right? So it's Cook and Lit Waters, Mouth of the Kenai River. So those are considered U.S. waters. Um, so ultimately they have the jurisdiction there. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, certainly the size of the project. Um, this would have been well beyond our means uh, without um, significant coordination and cooperation from a variety of, of folks, uh, to be honest. So uh, I will say um, they've been great. It's been a long process and a long road to get to where we are uh, today. Um, but I, I feel like we have uh, a great team, a great partner uh, with the folks we've been working with, with the core, um, HDR engineering, uh, Ronnie McPherson's team, uh, was the lead on, on doing the design. Um, and I, and I will say, well, you know, Terry mentioned it's, it, it was very unique. You know, the city was, um, driving that design, uh, which is not the norm, uh, for the core, um, so you, you can imagine we're and we're trying to do this in a way because they're ultimately the one that's releasing the project for bid. So we're we're creating a set of documents and specifications that have to follow their template exactly right for them to take to want to take it on. Um, so it required significant coordination to make sure that we're doing things exactly the way that that their folks are going to want to see it for reviews. Um, I mean, this project touched, uh, you know, individuals all over the, the country that are specialists with the core in their specific areas. You know, they have they have certain people in the country that's that focus on coastal, you know, specific projects and, and other, you know, environmental folks. I mean, we've had people from the East Coast fly out to this project and, and um, it's it's been a it's, it's been a, a, a vast, you know, complicated uh, project to get to where we are today. But we are. We're very excited. I mean, it's we've never been here before. The project, you know, it has now bid, uh, and we're we're anxiously awaiting the the results of that. But um, you know, our our hope uh, and understanding is we're going to have someone under contract here in the next few months, uh, and then this project is going to be you know underway. It's expected to take uh, about two years uh, to complete from start to finish. Yeah. What does that construction schedule look like? I, I 
feel like this is a pretty unique construction project that doesn't exactly map onto like road work. You know, what what will it look like once once contractors begin work? So I would I would expect um, as far as what you're going to see the first six months, you're not likely going to see a lot um, would be my guess. So uh, there's a lot of uh, front end paperwork, submittal type process that uh, they have to go through to, to comply uh, with the course requirements. Uh, it's largely a rock project, right? So we have to go and uh, you know, the contractor has to go out and source that material. So it's a lot of logistics, right? You're going to have to go find this this large rock, which doesn't really exist here. We don't have big rock, uh, you know, really in our local uh, vicinity. So um, their sources, you know, this rock potentially could come from Kodiak, Cordova. There's a source in Delta Junction. It's and all of those choices are really up to the contractor. It's whatever they, you know, their ability to get the most cost effective, um, you know, proposal put together to, you know, so we, we don't know yet. We don't know where that rock is coming from. There's a variety of places. Um, but once those logistics are figured out, um, we'll really have a much better idea of, of when to expect. Uh, so for example, if it's out in a quarry and that rock's not made, it'll have to be blasted. It'll have to be developed and things like that. That could take months uh, to do before it arrives. Um, but with that said, once it shows up, um, you know the the tides make this a challenging process right so they're out there and they're they're working in between tides um there's you know a significant number of restrictions that's placed on those individuals you know we we obviously have a you know it's the kenai river it's one arguably one of the most you know famous salmon rivers uh, in the world there's a tremendous amount of sea life everything from seals to beluga whales certainly salmon and other things so there there's you know concerns and requirements that they must follow um to uh you know minimize any impacts uh to that so um yeah but I, I i think once you get through those six months um you know things will start to move and like i said the project itself it's it's expected to take about 24 months start to finish is is the entire berm constructed of rocks like the, is that the only material involved or is there some other component that like some sort of base structure thing something that holds it in place it's not just that that rock no, that's a great question. So um, there's it's several different types of rock. Uh, and we also have a geotech uh, fabric that they're going to lay down. Uh, I say mud, but it's basically on top um, of the silt that's, you know, part of the uh, riverbank. Um, and that's to help support that rock and, and to prevent um, the mud and stuff from coming up and infiltrating the gravel. Um, they're expecting that as they're placing rock, it's going to sink, you know, 12 to you know, 18 inches just from the weight of the rock, it's actually going to sink into the mud. Um, but they have a smaller rock, which is like a filter um, core type rock. And then they have the larger armor rock. Um, and the larger armor rock is, you know, rock from 300 to, you know, over 3000 pounds is, you know, that's, it's that size of rock. So it's pretty good size stuff from basketballs to the size of desks. Are, are they held together by like pure weight and structure alone? Yes, friction and yes, weight exactly. Wow, so that can that alone can withstand tides and you know large chunks of ice and everything. Yeah, so it, it's it's a substantial um, structure, right? So like at the base of it, it's about sixty feet wide, uh, and then it gets narrower as you get up to the the peak. Um, but yeah, that's meant to you know absorb energy up the whole length of of that wall. Yeah. Well, you touched earlier on when when working on this construction, you know, considering all of the marine wildlife and, and also, you know, all of the recreation and fishing that happens on the Kenai River in that area. Let's talk about what, you know, what impacts are expected from this construction. Um, so I would like to point out, the, so the project area right now is, on, like I said, it's on the north side of the river. It's actually an area that's really not accessible. Uh, to the public so a lot of the areas that folks are commonly walking on the beach they're not really walking in this area because it's just there's just not a way of you'd have to walk through water to to be able to get up to it or walk down a really steep embankment uh, to do it so um, we don't have a lot of beach walkers uh, in that area um, there's certainly going to be construction activity uh, going on um, i don't see it being anything that's going to stop anyone from doing their normal course of business right so um, you know, fishermen that come and go, you know, within the area, there, there likely will be some vessels and other traffic uh, in the area. Um, people have to pay attention to that, but I don't see it as being anything that's going to, 
change how anyone would normally do business. Terry, if you have anything to add to that. No, and I, I think that's, you know, all part of the consideration when, when the Corps is looking at the proposals for the project is, you know, how have the contractors, how are they proposing to minimize that impact on the local community? Um, depending on how they get the rock here, you know, you know, folks could see a lot of big trucks on the road hauling rock. You know, it could come in by barge. We just don't know. Um, it, like Scott said, the the logistics of this are up to the individual proposers to determine and then the core to evaluate. So we'll, do we, we'll know a lot more here in, in the next month or so of what this project is going to look like. But um, I, I think they do their best to try to, you know, again, minimize the impact on the local community. Yeah. And then what about marine wildlife? Will construction and or the final structure of the project impact the migration paths and behavior of marine wildlife at all or is it i you know i imagine it's designed with those things in mind oh it's a great question um it's not expected to um i can tell you during construction you know they're they're not working in the water so they're not you're not going to see you know bulldozers out three feet underwater uh, pushing things around so the work the work will take place you know what they what they say in the dry it'll be in the dry um, as they're working and as the tides come up they'll pull off and, and they'll have to work um you know in between those um, to give you an example, um, you know, at certain times of the year, there's, there's certain sea life in the river, you know, belugas, for example, um, they're, they're in the area, but they're not in the area 12 months, um, of the year during the months that they are there, they're actually required. So let's say they're barging in rock and, uh, um, from the, the river and the inlet, they're actually required to have a spotter on the boat at all time that the vessel is operating, um, watching for that type of activity. And if they do come in now the area, they have to let them freely pass and, and, and stop whatever they're doing, you know, from an operation um, standpoint while that takes place. And, you know, once the, those 24 months of construction begin, will, will contractors work through the winter or is this going to be probably a, a summer months only project? I, I suspect that they're going to work as, as long as they possibly can. I think the one, the one factor that may, um, inhibit them is if the sea ice gets to the point where it's just too burdensome you know on the, on the side um, there's always the possibility if they get enough rock up at an elevation where they're above that then they can continue with with the other work um, it is challenging you know because you're you got a five thousand you know feet length to do this and as you're doing it the water's going back and forth so you, you want to get as much done as you can and understanding that the tide could also be damaging what you're doing until you get it to a point where it's, you know, you're far enough along and it's stable where it's not going to go back out with the tide. So um, it certainly has its challenges. Well, Scott, I wanted to return to something that that you mentioned earlier about, you know, once when the core didn't have enough funding to complete the design phase and, and that ended up falling on the city. You know, what was that process like for you was that sort of uncharted territory of design work what you know did that was that a particular challenge or what did it look like to to take on that design work as a city uh so you know we we do a we manage a lot of other construction uh, type projects and grants uh for the city um you know this this is a large project I and mean, we have others um that are, you know, we have a runway rehab project coming that's a similar, which is a grant through the FAA. Um, so it's not, it's not that we don't, you know, have experience uh, doing that. This was unique in that we were, you know, I had to contract with an engineer, the city did, and we had to, you know, ask uh, that individual to, to understand it's, it's ultimately going to be a core project and we have to play by the core's rules, right? So it required very close coordination with personnel from the core to make sure that these documents, I mean, everything from, you know, how the letterhead is done on the blueprints to, to what numbers you're using in your specifications and what they ultimately look like, all of that was defined by the core. Um, I will say HDR Engineering, uh, the firm that we use, and as I mentioned, Ronnie McPherson's uh, team particularly, um, their past experience with the core uh, was was instrumental. Um, so it wasn't their first rodeo, so to speak. They had done this before. Um, and he certainly made that much easier on me, um, understanding, you know, he understood what he had to do. Um, and they did it really well, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've had uh, 
it wasn't an easy thing to get through. Um, we didn't get beat up. We didn't, you know, we don't have a lot of contract amendments and things like that, you know, and this is a long process, right? This, this design effort has been going on since it's about 18 months, uh, to get to where we are today. Um, and, uh, and then just coordinating with, you know, the folks, you know, the last, you know, three months is, have specifically been dealing with the course contracting department. So we basically handed off the design and specifications and they put the final package together. So just coordinating with those individuals um, to make sure that it's, you know, it's in the format that they want to see it. And it's all going to be released in the way, you know, that that people that commonly look at and bid core projects, it's not going to be a surprise to them. It's going to look as as other projects normally would. Interesting. And then once once construction is complete on this project, how quickly will that have an impact on the rate of erosion of the bluff? You you mentioned earlier that obviously it doesn't target every single aspect, every single, you know, thing that is causing erosion, but you know, how quickly will that five to eight feet a year be impacted? You know, I'm guessing and you're estimating, I guess that probably over the next 10 years, you're going to see that top side of the bluff, you know, uh, continue to erode and then stabilize at you know that natural angle of repose so you know the, the key really is again just stopping the erosion at the toe to that that puts an end or you know that puts a finite time we hope on the point where erosion is going to take place so you know um, it, it just depends on you know the wind and the water and the stuff on the top side on how long that is going to take but you know, there are, I mean, we got to be honest here. There are still some structures along that bluff that are going to be threatened. We don't know that they're going to be able to be um, saved or they may have to be moved because of how close they are right now to the edge and, and to get to that natural angle of repose. Um, it's going to, they, they could be threatened and have to be moved. So, Are there any structures that aren't just like, private property that that fall under that potential threat most of what i'm talking about is private property um you know i don't think we believe you know the biggest city asset that we have there besides uh roads and water and sewer infrastructure is our senior center and uh senior housing facility and um we believe both of those will have sufficient or sufficient land left up top that they will not be threatened but, um, at this point yeah, I I know that, you know, when the when the agreement between the core and the city was signed that happened at the at the senior center, correct? Yeah, how how important has has that structure been in in this project, that being the largest city asset that's sort of threatened by the erosion? Yeah, I think it's just another key point for the city. I mean, I think the reason we we wanted the signing there was because it really it shows the impact again, like Scott said, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And when the folks from the core and DC came to the signing, I mean, that really cemented, I think in their minds, exactly what, what this is all about. So, you know, our senior center is, is a real important asset of the city, um, not just financially, but for what it provides for the community. So, it's absolutely a big consideration, but all that property along there is, is a big consideration. And I, last year, I think we spent several hundred thousand dollars having to um, abandon a water main um, in that area because, uh, frankly, we were afraid it was going to freeze because the the ground, it, it wasn't exposed necessarily yet, but there wasn't very much dirt between that water main and the side of the bluff. So freezing was a real possibility in this time of year. So those are the things I think the, the community can expect is that, you know, we're going to see this, the savings of not having to spend that money, rebuilding roads, moving other infrastructure uh, into the future. Yeah. Are, are pieces of city infrastructure like roads or water mains being lost or damaged in some way like every year by this is that something that has like consistently been happening it's been a huge concern for me so like you said uh you know the end of mission avenue uh right there we we abandoned uh and isolated you know 150 feet of water main 
Um, and my fear with that is, as you mentioned, if it, if it had froze, it's under pressure, right? So if that cracked on the edge of the bluff, we could have lost 30 feet of bluff, right? Just from a, a massive water leak like that. So, um, yeah, there was a few sleepless nights there waiting for that, you know, to get done. So that was a huge relief, um, getting that, you know, secured and it's, it's no longer, you know, a concern right now. So, but yeah, the completion of this project, you know, it's, we have that similar situation. I mean, Peninsula Avenue, you go down Peninsula Avenue, if we weren't doing this project, I mean, whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, you know, Peninsula Avenue could be at risk and that's water, sewer, the road itself, stormwater, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure there and all of that is highly expensive, um, items to repair and, and things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, a from a public work standpoint, this is a huge relief <laughs> to, uh, to get this project done. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about the, the cost savings that come along with a project like this for, for the losses that are associated with it. So that's, that's interesting. And, and we talked earlier about the potential like economic revitalization that could come along with this. Um, but you know, like on a, on a ten, the 10 year time scale that you sort of mentioned is, is new development along the bluff, something that you would encourage, or is that just something that might be possible in the future? Uh, I certainly think we would encourage it. We, we, we certainly hope that it happens. You know, at this point we haven't, if encouragement means, you know, any sort of public private partnerships or, you know, tax incentives or any other incentives the city could provide, we haven't gone down that path yet. I, I think those likely could be some conversations. I, I, I believe just simply the the location of the land and the value of the land is going to drive those decisions by, you know, private enterprise. I, I think that, you know, once they don't have to worry about a building that they may build falling over the bluff, that people are going to be more inclined. I mean, it, you know, I think it's ripe for a, another restaurant like the Harborview was. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think there's just a ton of opportunity. And, you know, this area, you know, like uh, Scott said, you know, probably on its more northeastern end, uh, it stops at, you know, the first existing cannery on the river. Um, you know, that cannery is kind of the start of what uh, we've deemed the, the Kenai waterfront. And, you know, we're looking at a redevelopment or, you know, revitalization of that area. And, um, you know, so I think it could tie in with that at some point and, and, and bring economic opportunity to the city. Yeah, you know, that area that, that you're mentioning for waterfront revitalization isn't at the top of a bluff, but was it was it at all threatened by the tides and movement of the Kenai River in a way that will be improved through this project? Or is that just you know, part of a larger plan to revitalize that, that district. You're right. It's, it's not impacted say by the bluff. I mean, I I think any, any property along the river is subject to some level and amount of erosion. I think that area is probably significantly easier to deal with because you don't have the energy of that tide surge and those large waves rolling in from the inlet itself. So um, this project is not going to address any any of that area. I think it just at some point could tie in nicely and, you know, kind of link up, you know, redevelopment uh, along that whole, the bluff area, the waterfront into Old Town. And, um, you know, so that's what we're hoping for. Yeah. Do you want to talk at all about developments happening with the waterfront revitalization. I know that um, the Nikiski-based Kazakhs Brewery is moving to that area, and then there's been some other development there. Is, is there any any news to share about, um, you know, new, new businesses or things happening in that area? Yeah, I think you highlighted the big one. You know, Kazakhs is, um, they've submitted plans. I believe they've got a building permit now with the city to construct a, a, their new facility down there along the waterfront. Um, you know, it's a unique project, you know, and it's, you know, it's somewhat, again, a difficult project because uh, the city does have ownership of some of the property in that area, but the majority of it is now privately owned or 
um, you know, under a long-term lease of city property. So, you know, this really is a project about how can the city work with the private markets and private enterprise to develop that area or steer development of that area consistent with what the community's vision is for that area. Um, this is all about public-private partnerships and partnering with the landowners. Um, the first step um, in that process uh, is a rezone. Right now that area down there is zoned heavy industrial, um, so it has limited um, uses um, or restricted uses. So um, we're in the process, uh, I believe legislation will be introduced at this meeting here, next meeting today actually. Um, it's on the dock to be introduced that will rezone that area to a waterfront zone, um, which has its own characteristics and allowable uses. You know, the construction of cassocks in that area um, required a conditional use permit. It wasn't a permitted use in the heavy industrial zone. So, you know, that's our first step. Uh, you know, next steps will likely be working and applying for some grants to do some um, planning and layout in that area, whether that is of streets, proposed streets, and uh, and things like that, um, and, and the other infrastructure that it's going to take, take to make development down there happen. Again, we're just trying to steer the development to make it consistent with the community's vision that we, we did during that waterfront revitalization study that, that we did conduct. And so, it, but it's, it's challenging because again, we don't own the land. We don't have control. So, um, and I think that's a good thing. I, I really do. I think this is the way it, it should work and, you know, could involve the, the city installing some of the infrastructure for the right types of developments, um, could involve tax incentives for the right types of developments down through there. Um, we don't have anything, you know, there's nothing specific in mind right now. Um, we're trying to generate interest. We're trying to generate buzz. It's some of the most beautiful land in the city. If you if you get down there on the right day and you, you walk down to the, the the shore of the river and just look, it's it's pretty pristine area. So it's how can the city partner with folks and, and make that happen? Yeah. You mentioned that you don't have any specific, you know, vision in mind. Do you have any personal hopes for what types of businesses might be attracted to that area? Like what, what you think it could use other than a brewery? Yeah, I think the brewery is huge. I think that, you know, um, they become, you know, really parts of, of communities and almost every community seems to have a brewery right now. So I think we're super excited about that. And, and it's, its ability to attract other business and commerce to that area. And I think what the community laid out is they want to see some, they want to see some open space. They want to, you know, see some, some park and some walking trails through that area. Um, there's a vision of, you know, potentially some residential area, multi-unit complexes, maybe like a boat condo type complexes, uh, intermixed with, um, retail and, um, uh, along the highway um, but it just really is about you know the the so it's a real mixed use I think is what the kind of the community's vision was and again how do we as a city not owning the land help to steer it in that direction and um, that that's going to be the key I, I don't personally have any you know of my own visions um, I would just like to see it utilized for more than say boat storage or some of the, the more traditional uses. I think that's not the highest and best use for that property. I think, I think more can be done with it. Um, but it's also to be respectful and cognizant of we're not trying to force any of the current industry that's operating down there out. You know, um, we think a working cannery or working waterfront could be a really interesting part of of the area down there. So, well, as we're as we're winding down here, I 
wanted to ask each of you, you know, what has been the most gratifying moment about the process of the, you know, the bluff stabilization project over the past couple of years would have been like some of the highlights of, of being a part of that process. Maybe Scott, we'll start with you. Cause we've been badgering uh, Terry for a while. Yeah. No, it's a, a great question. Um, I would say, uh, if you ask the core to describe Kenai, I think they'd tell you we're a tenacious bunch that doesn't take no easily for an answer. Um, I think for me, the most rewarding part of this is I think it would have been easy to give up on this project at any point, frankly, over the last 20 years. I think, I think there's been enough reasons or times you're, you know, you're told no, or you're, you can't and, you know, things like that. Um, and I think, you know, you can hear somebody tell you, you know, nine reasons why you can't. And I think Kenai's way, as long as we hear the one reason why we can, um, I think that says a lot to administrations past and present, uh, certainly mayors, councils past and present, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate the support, um, to get to where we are today. I think it's a, I think it's a big thing, uh, for the city to be in the position, uh, where we are. Um, I, I do find it amusing. I, I still think there's, there's quite a few naysayers that, oh, it's not going to happen. We've been talking about this for so long. It's not actually going to happen, you know? And, and, uh, so I like that. I like having those conversations and I'm like, well, we're, we're at a place we've never been before. So we, you know, we now have proposals in hand on a project and and I think we're going to be awarding a contract here uh, in the coming months um, and that's certainly exciting new ground you know for the city um, more than that I think it's the things that are yet to come you know the things that uh, perhaps we haven't even thought of you know we're taking a large level of uncertainty out of an equation right so why invest in Kenai if you're concerned with the bluff and things like that, we're taking a variable off the table now. You know, you're not going to have to worry about that area, what it's going to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Um, that that adds a little level of comfort, you know, back to, to folks that are have been considering that, right? So so it's exciting to think what that might lead to, uh, you know, in the future. So I'm just glad to be a part of it. And Terry, what about you? Yeah, for me, it's about... The opportunity. It's about the opportunity for Kenai. It's about the opportunity for Old Town. You know, um, it's it's an area that's rich in history. It's an area that's rich in culture, and you know, it deserves to be protected. You know, I I think what this project shows, you know, what what I take from it is leadership, and I think for a community of our size to persevere and to stay committed to this one large project for a period of 30 years um, and, and bring it to fruition, I, th I think speaks volume for, like Scott said, previous councils, previous mayors, you know, um, this really is also, I think, a living proof that Alaska is a huge state, but we're a small community. And, you know, it took the efforts of not just the efforts and dedication of the folks in Kenai, but, you know, uh, our, our federal congressional folks working hard on our behalves, whether that's securing funding, whether that's holding, um, you know, hearings in Washington, D.C. with core folks and talking about the delays in our project that, that pushed things forward and got, and got things moving again along the way, you know, to, you know, our folks that are down in Juneau to governors, um, this really is a, a, a huge group effort that's brought it to this point. Um, and I just think it really shows the, the, that it took the leadership to be dedicated and bring this to fruition. So I'm, I'm super proud to have been a part of that, you know, for the last 15 years and super honored that, you know, it's going to happen, I think, you know, under, um, you know, my time at the city. Well, thank you both so much for joining me this morning. And yeah, I appreciate the conversation. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It was good seeing you. And that's all for this episode of the Kenai Conversation. Thanks to Terry Eubank and Scott Curtin for joining us. 
You can hear the Kenai Conversation every week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. here on KDLL. Or you can find it on our website, kdll.org. I'm Riley Board. Thanks for tuning in.